This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A community is in shock tonight as new details emerge about a fatal grizzly bear attack in the Yukon. A mother and her 10-month-old baby girl fatally mauled. Our Sarah McDonald is live in Whitehorse tonight with more. And Sarah, you've been talking to friends. What are you hearing? Well, Sophie, needless to say, a lot of shock and mourning here in Whitehorse and other parts of the Yukon tonight. This tragedy may be making international headlines, but for those who live here and knew those victims, it hits far too close to home. Well, they were trying to have kids for the past years, and when they finally got pregnant, uh, she was so happy. It was incredible. Those who knew her best say life in the Yukon for Valerie Teo Ray was seemingly and finally complete with the birth of her daughter Adele in 2017. She texted in the morning uh, to her friends through uh, satellite that she was very happy with, uh, with her child and she was living the dream. Now officials believe in the hours afterwards on Monday, the 37-year-old and her 10-month-old child were killed in an extremely rare encounter, mauled by a grizzly bear on their own property in a remote part of the territories. Disbelief, like it's just, it's just like, a, you know, it's not true, you know, that she's gone. Teyre's partner, an experienced outdoorsman, returning from checking trap lines when he too was charged, shooting and killing the animal in self-defense before discovering the bodies of his partner and infant. It's just like unreal. Um, i just trying to imagine... Sorry. How he felt coming back to the, to the cabin and found his uh, family like this must have been uh, horrible. It's always difficult to lose anyone. It's particularly difficult when it's, it's such a, a shocking, unforeseen instance. It's gonna take a long time for a lot of people around here to get over it. Though she died several hundred kilometers north, this longtime French immersion teacher's impact and her legacy is most starkly felt in Whitehorse by the students and faculty she worked alongside at this elementary school where flags were flying at half-staff on Wednesday. Well, she taught grade three at one point, she taught grade six at one point, and, and all of those students, you know, they, they have great memories of her. She really had a lot of success with them. Those here among an extended community now deep in grief. Really, really difficult time. RCMP and environmental officials now assisting the coroner's investigation into the loss of this mother and her child. And a memorial will be held in their honor here in Whitehorse tomorrow. We are told that Taya Ray's parents and those of her partner who are flying in from Norway will be here in attendance. All right, Sarah, what do we know about the partner's condition tonight? Well, remarkably, we were told that he escaped that ordeal physically unscathed, but certainly, as you can imagine, a traumatic ordeal for him. We are told by his friends that he was flown out of that remote property the day after the incident. He is now here in Whitehorse receiving support. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Sarah McDonald in Whitehorse for us.
Well, of course, it is an unimaginable loss, but grizzly attacks are very rare. In fact, it's been more than a decade since the last fatal attack in the Yukon. And that's why wildlife experts say it's important to figure out why this tragedy happened. Aaron MacArthur has more on that part of the story. There have been several dangerous grizzly encounters recently caught on tape, and stories of near death and survival seem like a regular occurrence. The bear had my head in its mouth and was picking me up. Jumping on me and tearing at my arms. Picked me up and shook me like a rag doll. Despite the fact attacks are rare, 2018 has been an anomaly. Five people have now been killed across North America this year alone. This is the first, the first two uh, are in Canada in 2018. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, there have only been eight fatalities in the last decade. It's rare here as well. You know, we haven't had a fatal grizzly bear attack in British Columbia, confirmed fatal attack in, in 15 years. Most bear-human conflict are what are known as defensive attacks. A mother defending a cub or a surprised bear defending a kill. There are instances of predatory attacks and experts say those often occur at this time of year. Food-stressed bears trying to pack on fat before hibernation. In examination of the bear, one could determine whether the bear was food-stressed, it was undernourished, whether it maybe had some type of injury, bad teeth, broken jaw, something like that. It was preventing it from eating. Attacks are tragic, but as humans push farther into bear territory, the likelihood of conflict goes up. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The victims of a violent home invasion are sharing their terrifying ordeal with Global News in the hopes it will lead to an arrest. The couple in their 70s traumatized when three men broke into their home while they were sleeping. Jordan Armstrong tells us what happened and why police believe the suspects had the wrong house. They took everything out of here. $50,000 worth of jewelry gone. And that wasn't the good stuff. The home of Marie and Donald Biggs ransacked by thugs at 2.30 Tuesday morning. The guy was standing in the doorway with a mask on, so I knew it was bad. And I just, I think I just hollered at him. I said, get the hell out of here, and he didn't. Donald clubbed in the head and tied up. The carpet bloodstained from the wound that took eight stitches to close. When it was over, I was on the floor, down, face down. Three intruders had come inside. Marie found two in her bedroom, one pointing a gun. That's all I said to them when they had the gun and everything in there. I said, don't hurt my dog. The safe cleaned out. The bandits scooped up credit cards, cell phones, and a computer, fleeing in the couple's 2008 Lexus. The vehicle has since been found in Nanaimo, but most items are still missing. The crooks had the wrong house. They were looking for certain items which are not in that house, and we believe they just had the wrong information. A local businessman now offering $5,000 for information, leading to arrests. I mean, is that a way to end your life with some fool coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning, some drug-addled son of a you-know-what, and hitting him over the head? I don't think so. Police confident they're narrowing in on suspects. After 52 years of marriage, Donald and Marie Biggs thought they'd seen everything. But this was a terrifying first. How does this rate out on a, on a scale of one to ten? Oh, ten. Ten. Ten, whatever. You, don't want, you just don't want to imagine somebody in a, in a mass running into your bedroom in the With middle of the night. 
Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Vancouver police are renewing their appeal tonight for victims of a sex assault suspect and potential witnesses to come forward. 46-year-old Kevin Alexander Roberts was arrested last week and faces charges in connection with sexual offenses involving a young girl that date back decades. Roberts worked as a truck driver throughout B.C. and Alberta. He also worked as a school bus driver in the Prince George area. Police believe there are additional victims who would have been between the ages of 4 and 18 at the time of the offenses, and they are urging them to come forward. A coroner's inquest into the suicide of a former RCMP media spokesperson has wrapped. 55-year-old Pierre Lemaitre took his own life in July of 2013. Today, his then-supervisor, Chief Superintendent Dennis Boucher, testified that in 2008, Lemaitre told him he was diagnosed with PTSD. Boucher became emotional as he read some of the final emails he had with Lemaitre in the weeks preceding his death. Lemaitre wrote, it's been quite a struggle with this depression. Boucher wept as he described how Lemaitre was struggling near the end. Earlier testimony suggested there were numerous cases of harassment and bullying in the time Lemaitre was posted to the Langley detachment. That's something Boucher denied. The jury will begin deliberations tomorrow. A show of solidarity today outside the Canada Post sorting facility in Richmond. Stand up! Fight back! Stand up! Fight back! Dozens of members of the B.C. Federation of Labour show their support for Canada Post employees ordered back to work. Cup W says this group joins members of several major unions in B.C. that have set up picket lines, creating a major backlog at the facility. As a Canadian citizen, as a worker, as someone who cares about uh, the economy, I feel that they should have had free and fair collective bargaining. The union began rotating strikes across the country just over a month ago and rejected a request to pause job action over the holidays. Canada Post says the service is facing unprecedented backlogs that could take well into the new year to completely clear up. Bold moves and tough talk from Alberta today, taking action in case the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion does not go ahead. Our Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. And Keith, they are ordering a whole whack of rail cars to move their oil to market. Exactly, and also reviving the old uh, pipeline versus rail car debate when it comes to moving oil. Consensus is pipelines are far safer than rail cars. Right now, 200,000 barrels a day move on Canada's uh, rail lines. Rachel Notley proposing to add another 120,000 barrels a day by purchasing two complete trains, not cars, but actual trains, uh, to get Alberta's number one product to market. She says the Alberta uh, economy is being crippled. Uh, she went to Ottawa today to make her pitch to the federal government and people there. We're going to hear from her as well as a prominent First Nations leader who says it doesn't matter. Pipelines or rail cars, we don't want that oil. I know pipeline opponent, opponents don't want to hear this and this isn't what they were trying to make happen but guess what? As they fight safer, cheaper, less emissions intensive ways to move our resources what they are doing is they are driving more oil to rail. It's dangerous no matter how, how you look at it and you know it's, it's a shame it's it's, if you do the tax breakdown, 35% of the tax goes to, it's the lowest in the world, 35% tax goes to, to Alberta, 15% to Canada, less than 2% to BC. So, so there's multiple, economically, there's so many reasons why it doesn't make sense, and, and it doesn't make sense if it's a long rail as well. 
Well, it's going to happen. Rachel Notley says it's just a matter of weeks before her government makes these purchases. So look forward to seeing a heck of a lot more rail cars on BC rail lines along rivers and, and streams and such as they make their way to Tidewater in a matter of weeks. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Some advice for drivers tonight from the company responsible for keeping Metro Vancouver's roads clear this winter. Main Road Group is promising to work around the clock through the winter to keep the roads clear. The company is bringing back the tow plow, which is pulled behind a standard plow and can clear and de-ice two lanes of traffic at once. It's also warning drivers to expect more of what they call echelon plowing, several plows clearing the highway together in a staggered line. That allows crews to clear more lanes with fewer plows. Necropsy results are in for two dead whales found earlier this month off the B.C. coast. Fisheries and Oceans says the female humpback that was found near the Tawasin Ferry Terminal suffered catastrophic injuries from a ship strike. And the transient killer whale calf that was found two days earlier near Gold River was likely born alive but died three to five days after birth. Possible causes could include the death or separation from its mother or neglect, but more tests are needed to determine the exact cause. The power's back on in Kelowna tonight after a big part of the city, including virtually all of the downtown core, went dark this morning. As Global Okanagan's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the major holiday season outage was caused by an unusual natural phenomenon. This is how the day began for most people working and living in downtown Kelowna, in the dark. Now, what are you guys able to do without power? Um, not too much. We're not able to use the hoist or anything. We don't have uh, lighting for the main shop areas. Boyd's Tire and Auto Service, just one of hundreds of businesses impacted by a large-scale power outage. It started around 9.45 a.m. Drivers were slowed by non-functioning traffic lights. The power outage stretching for several kilometers to Gordon Drive in the Capri Mall area. While Kelowna General was in the power outage zone, a sophisticated backup electrical system at the hospital meant it was business as usual. At its peak, more than 5,500 customers were without power. The outage being blamed on a squirrel making contact with equipment here at this downtown substation. Contact that was heard by people in the area. It was loud. It was really loud, like it, it shocked a lot of people looking around and wondering where it came from. This is a time of year where small animals are trying to get warm and we do have protections in place for that, but sometimes they do get by them and can cause some issues with our substations. Fortunately, the repair job was a quick one and most customers had power restored after about an hour. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Well, they haven't caught the hungry otter yet, but Vancouver's Dr. Sun Yat-sen Garden is reopening to the public. That's because they have rescued all of the surviving koi and found a surprise in the process. The garden has been closed since a river otter made its way in and ate 10 of the prized koi. Today, staff lowered the water level and caught the two remaining adults to transfer them to the Vancouver Aquarium for safekeeping. But they also caught something in the nets they weren't expecting. When we did some additional captures and salvages with our nets, we actually captured two to three hundred juvenile koi. So if there's a silver lining to this story, it is that uh, the offspring of the adult koi are going to be able to replenish that pond. 
A high-profile money laundering investigation will not be going forward. Criminal charges have been stayed in the RCMP's e-pirate probe. The investigation involving Richmond-based Silver International Investments and two men was launched in 2015. RCMP suspected an underground banking operation was allegedly processing suspected drug money that was then washed in B.C. casinos. The case was set to go to trial in January, but RCMP confirming today all charges were stayed last week. What I can say is uh, that at this stage, um, we have to figure out uh, why this is happening, why it is uh, that we appear unable to uh, prosecute successfully uh, this crime and these criminal activities that are alleged to be taking place in British Columbia. In regards to why the charges were stayed, RCMP will only say it was due to several reasons that materialized during the course of the file. And a review is now being conducted to identify what police activities may have contributed. Well, thousands are dying of overdoses. Others are priced out of their homes, all while a transnational Asian crime network makes billions off the misery of British Columbians. A global News investigation connected the fentanyl crisis and housing affordability to the criminal underworld. And now there are renewed calls for a full public inquiry to stop the problem at its source. John Wah reports. They became filthy rich by peddling fatal fentanyl on our streets. Then criminals moved that dirty cash from BC casinos and parked it in the wealthiest postal codes in this province. I'm pissed off, to be completely honest. Um, our province is being sold out. Our people are being sold out. Pork Coquitlam Mayor Brad West isn't sold on action taken so far by the BC and federal governments. People who are involved in organized crime who are making billions of dollars and leaving carnage in our province are profiting because of their inaction. A global news investigation has shown police intelligence found a billion dollars may have been laundered through the Vancouver luxury real estate market in just 2016. British Columbia will call it a, uh, a travesty right now because nothing, not enough is being done. With a lack of RCMP resources dedicated to organized crime, Asian gangs like the Big Circle Boys were allowed to turn drug-related murder into a make-it-rich scheme that's poisoned our housing market. There was significant cuts um, under the previous government and the RCMP's ability to do organized crime investigations and we are returning that funding and rebuilding that capacity. In the meantime, BC's current response is another review. I can say that we have Peter German working away uh, in the background collecting information about uh, money laundering issues in our economy, uh, luxury cars and real estate. I have lots of respect for Mr. German and the work that he does, but just a review is not enough. West says it's time to stop trying to close the loopholes and go hard on the criminal source and possible corruption in our system. We need a Charbonneau-style commission that has the power to be able to compel people to testify, to subpoena people, to lay criminal charges. As governments ponder the need for a public inquiry and how to restore resources to the RCMP, criminals are likely looking for the next vulnerable destination for their dirty cash. John Hua, Global News. Well, the death toll from opioid-related overdoses has reached shocking levels. In 2017, it was nearly 4,000. The biggest culprit is fentanyl. In just the first three months of this year, more than 1,000 Canadians died after using opioids. That's 11 people a day. 94% of those deaths were accidental, and most of them, 73%, 
involved some form of fentanyl. 77% of those who died were male, and 27% were between 30 and 39 years old. Accidental fentanyl-related deaths have increased by 16% since 2017, and they've doubled compared to 2016. The situation is so dire in B.C., statistics show opioid deaths have decreased overall life expectancy in this province for the first time in 30 years, from 83 years to 82.4 years. And to put that into context, Canada hasn't seen an impact on life expectancy like this since the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s and the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hard to believe, but there was once a house on this spot. The New Jersey home exploded into kindling this morning. People felt the blast as far as 30 kilometers away. Thankfully, no one was home at the time. Investigators still don't know what caused it. Well, for months, one of the biggest questions in the Russia investigation has been, what will President Trump have to say to special counsel Robert Mueller? Tonight, we have some new insight into some of his answers, and it comes as the president's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, faces new scrutiny. Sources familiar with the president's written answers to Robert Mueller's questions say he wrote that former campaign advisor Roger Stone did not tell him in advance that WikiLeaks planned to release emails about the Clinton campaign hacked from Democrats. And he said he did not know beforehand about his son Don Jr.'s meeting in Trump Tower with Russians who promised to bring dirt on Hillary Clinton. He answered the sources say to the best of his recollection. Meantime, Rudy Giuliani of the president's legal team says a lawyer for Paul Manafort was in touch with them even after he pleaded guilty and agreed to cooperate with Mueller's team. Such an arrangement with lawyers for other people under investigation is so rare that many legal experts consider it a sign Manafort wanted to stay on the president's good side, hoping for a pardon. Manafort, who is a career criminal, was playing all the angles. He was both trying to get a pardon and he had agreed to cooperate with the prosecutors hoping in return for some leniency. The problem is he got caught again playing all the angles. Asked about a pardon for Manafort, the president told the New York Post, it was never discussed, but I wouldn't take it off the table. As for Mueller, President Trump suggested to the Washington Post that he has no plans to fire the special counsel, saying he's still there. He wouldn't have to be, but he's still there, so I have no intention of doing anything. But early this morning, the president retweeted this Internet meme that asks, when do the trials for treason begin, showing a collection of his political enemies behind bars, along with Mueller and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. A Saskatoon judge has signed off on a plan to finally distribute the millions of dollars raised for the victims of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. More than $15 million was raised through a GoFundMe campaign. The judge noting that it's an instance of great generosity arising from great tragedy. Global's Ryan Kessler has the story. 
Yeah, thanks for everything, hey. Since April, Scott Thomas has looked at life like a book. He's the father of Evan Thomas, who died in the bus crash. Scott says the judge's ruling on how to divide up Canada's largest GoFundMe campaign means another chapter is closed. We'd give any amount of money to have our son back, no question. Um, so it's been a, an emotional roller coaster the last little while, for sure. On Wednesday, a Saskatoon judge approved a plan laid out by an advisory committee. Per person, it recommended $525,000 be paid to each of the families of the 16 people who died in the crash. The 13 surviving players will receive $475,000 each. Any money left over will be divided evenly among the survivors. It achieved a result that I think satisfied most everyone involved to the extent we could do that through this process. According to the committee, the majority of families wanted the money to be split equally between the families of those killed and the survivors. But the committee recommended that survivors get less. A lawyer appearing for Logan Boulay's parents says they appreciate the committee's ruling, but it's not what they want, saying, quote, the Boulays feel the best way to honor their son, to honor his team spirit, and to honor his commitment to his teammates would be to divide the funds equally. But the committee concluded the circumstances of survivors and the families of the deceased are not the same, justifying the difference in payments. If it's adjusted to take account of the distribution uh, to the 13 survivors, it's more like ten or $15,000, so it's a, a modest difference. In closing, the judge addressed the 29 people on the bus, their friends and their family, saying everyone has proven they can face adversity and move forward if they remain humbled strong. Ryan Kessler, Global News. Pope Francis showing once again his love for children during a general audience at the Vatican today. A little boy who is hearing and linguistically impaired escaped from his mother's grip, broke through security and jumped on stage to play. The Swiss guard stood stoically by as Vatican police and his mother tried to coax the boy off. But the Pope told them all to just let him stay. At one point, even his sister tried to get him off the stage, but she too eventually gave up. The Pope praised the boy's freedom, albeit undisciplined, and told the crowd it makes him wonder if he himself is so free before God. <laughs> <laughs> they all got a chuckle, at least. Steals the show, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, in Health Matters tonight, a fundraiser for one of the biggest health challenges facing Canada's children. <laughs> You are listening to the May Day Choir, made up of special needs children, providing the entertainment for the Pacific Autism Family Network's Christmas Luncheon. Global's Jill Crop handling the MC duties with actor-singer Holly Robinson-Pede, who has a son with autism, the special guest. Autism Speaks Canada estimates that one in every 66 Canadian children has autism. And each year, an estimated 50,000 teens with autism become adults and lose school-based services. Today's luncheon raised more than $700,000. Oh my goodness, that's a big boy. That's massive. Okay. Too big for burgers. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon, who's getting into the festive spirit at Bright Nights in Stanley Park. Hi, Christy. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, you guys. Yeah, what a great tradition. You know, 21 years now, Vancouver firefighters from all across the Lower Mainland have donated countless hours to put up 3 million lights here at uh, Stanley Park. Such a great time. And it's not only just about the lights, but there's plenty else going on. We're going to be talking to Ray Boucher in just a few seconds to tell us a little bit more. But first, we have had pretty much everything across the province in the last little while, from freezing rain to snow, and here on the south coast, rain on and off. King Tide again this morning. Two more days of King Tide, by the way. We'll see that tomorrow and Friday morning as well. Great shot. Thanks to Gail from uh, the Olympic Village area showing how high the tide is there. So pockets of rain still left over today. It is much lighter now compared to earlier, but we'll continue to see that through the morning hours tomorrow. And we are hoping for some sunshine tomorrow. Now, I'm not expecting a ton, but we're really keeping our fingers crossed. Those of you across Vancouver Island expect the majority of that. Now, there's a, we do have a little bit of uh, moisture in store for us overnight tonight. You can see that there, but that spreads into the interior tomorrow afternoon. And that's why we're hoping for that sunshine across the south coast. But interior regions, yes, snowfall later on for you. Lower down, just showers and another wave of moisture on Friday. So two more unsettled days before. Four. Wait till you see this long-range forecast, everyone. Snow, BC Peace River, showers for most areas across the south here, especially by the afternoon hours, and still a chance of showers across the south coast, uh, but mostly in the morning. Look at the clearing trend we're expecting, though. Saturday, Sunday, right through Tuesday. It's going to be cold, but it's going to be beautiful, which is perfect timing, actually, for everyone coming down here. This is Ray Boucher, everyone. He's VP of uh, the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. You've also been with um, Bright Nights here at Stanley Park for how many years now? I think forever, but I've been here about 12 years. Why do you keep coming back? Uh, I keep coming back because it's enjoyable when you get the lights put up and you see the people coming through the front and the kids and their reactions. Yep. That's what makes it rewarding. Tell, tell us what people at home could expect if they come down here. Well, you come down here, you'll see about 3 million lights. And this is a joint project between the uh, Vancouver Parks Board and the BC Firefighters Burn Fund. Uh, so three million lights, we've got displays all over the place. There's twinkling, we've got falling lights, we've got all sorts of different displays to look at. And Santa? Santa's here as well. Yeah, come down. We've got food trucks, so you come down if you're hungry, grab a bite to eat, and enjoy yourselves. Walk around, spend some time, you're good. Free parking, uh, you need to get your tickets for the train online. That's the best way to do it at theburnfund.org. And uh, also um, just a donation to get in. And it's a big fundraiser, of course, for the BC Firefighters Burn Fund. Yeah, it's a donation to get in, and parking is free, and we like to, there's not many places in Vancouver you can park for nothing. <laughs> no. So, yeah, yeah, come on down and enjoy it. Uh, park for nothing. Runs right through the holiday season. I'm going to leave you now, though, with the... Uh, what, uh, the name of Vancouver Fire Services Band. They have been in, uh, entertaining everyone all night long. Take it away, guys. joyful start to the holiday season if I've ever heard one well done guys they're so good they are great nice. have fun down there all right you might have seen the amazing pictures of a barnyard giant in Australia but it turns out Canada has its own supersized steer take a look at this video from down under it's gone viral a steer with the unlikely name of knickers standing six feet four inches tall and weighing 
over a ton. An actual ton. His owner says his size has actually saved his life. He's too big for the abattoir to process. But wait, Nickers might be in a twist because a Manitoba farmer says his steer can compete. This is Dozer, who lives in Steinbeck, Manitoba. Dozer measures six foot five, an inch higher than Nickers, and coincidentally, Chris Galis's height. <laughs> His, We're tied. His original owner realized he was too big to keep, so Dozer was moved to a farm sanctuary where he will also happily live out his days. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of reasons to love music from Scotland. This Pipes. This is not one of them. This, this is not one of them, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends who you are, really. <laughs> if you're a Blackhawk fan, you probably would love this song. Um, okay, so... These three men, who will soon be beside my head, there they are, they're called the Fratellis. They're a three-piece band from Glasgow, Scotland. They had a minor hit song in 2006. It was called Chelsea Dagger, and it became a dagger for Canuck fans when Vancouver played Chicago, especially in the playoffs, because that was a song the Blackhawks played every time they scored a goal. And last night, when the Canucks played the LA Kings... Vancouver's in-house DJ, who might be new to this city, accidentally played Chelsea Dagger at Rogers Arena in the third period, causing a bit of a Twitter firestorm in Canucks Nation. Even Francesco Aquilini got involved and said, hey, it's an accident, it won't happen again, though. Uh, Chelsea Dagger at Rogers Arena, that's kind of like playing the chicken dance at a funeral. That's what it sounded like. That's disturbing. <laughs> this song, what's that? It never gets played. It never gets, it shouldn't. This song was such a parasitic earworm in the heyday of the Canucks-Blackhawks rivalry that we once went around the Canucks dressing room asking Canuck players to listen to a song. They didn't know what they were going to hear. It was Chelsea Dagger, and we wanted to see what their reaction was when they found out what the song was. We thought we'd go back in time. Here are some of those moments just to show you how much this song is hated in this part of the world. Nightmare. Oh, I keep talking about it. I hate that song. Worst song in, in hockey. Goal oh. <laughs> scored by number 88, Patrick Kane. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Heard that way too many times. Bad memories. Bad memories. <laughs> bad memories. I miss a little bit. It's still bad memories. Shane O'Brien was in there. That was the first guy up. I don't recognize all the rest. Uh, Austin Matthews back from the shoulder injury. John Tavares was talking to him there. And this is Matthews in the power play scoring for the Leafs against the Sharks. And it's 4-2 early in the third period for T.O. Oh, the Lions have signed linebacker Odell Willis, or Odell Willis, I should say, to a new contract for the 2019 season. Uh, he led the Lions in quarterback sacks with 11, also played all 18 regular season games, and is someone GM Ed Hervey is very comfortable with. Ten-year veteran, so it means he also provides leadership for the Lions in the locker room. So the moment the Vancouver Canucks bought the Vancouver Stealth Lacrosse team and renamed it the Vancouver Warriors, optimism was off the charts. After all... The final season for the Self was nothing less than a disaster. They had only two wins. 
But the first season of the Warriors was almost a disaster as well because a labor dispute between the players and the National Lacrosse League threatened to shut down the entire season before it began. Luckily, they have come to an agreement and they're going to play. To be quite honest, there was a couple of days there where we thought the season was lost. But uh, cooler heads prevailed on both sides and... Uh, you know, we're very excited to get going. Now that there's a National Lacrosse League season, it's roll up the sleeves time and start the heavy lifting. Dan Richardson is the man responsible for tearing down and rebuilding a lacrosse team that went 2-16 and 16 a season ago. Ray from well out scores. Like, uh, you know, some people might call it overwhelming. We, we look at it as we've only got one way to go and that's up. Starting from the bottom means saying goodbye to costly aging veterans like Reese Dutch. The 19-goal, 65-point man released by the Warriors on Wednesday after Richardson couldn't find a suitable trading partner. But an even bigger move, Richardson's traded away team-leading goal scorer Corey Small to the Buffalo Bandits for hometown boy Mitch Jones. It's all part of the Warriors wanting to get younger and local. He'll turn, he'll load, he'll fire and score. We believe that uh, we, we've got uh, the, the players and the coaching staff in place to get back in the playoffs. you got to remember, two years ago, this club was 9-9. Nine and nine, And uh, the changes that we've made, both in the, uh, the coaching and the players, we, we think that 8-10 and 9-9 and nine and nine is very reachable. Now, that, you might think that's you know uh, pie-in-the-sky stuff, but uh, knowing the roster that we do and the systems that we're going to put in place, I think that's what the fans can look forward to. The Warriors will have back-to-back -back weekends of training camp before playing the first home game at Rogers Arena December 21st. Jay Janor, Global Sports. Semi-final Women's U-17 World Cup Canada against Mexico. Early in the first half. Oh, oh no, 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 no. That's a penalty kick. Down goes. Nicole Perez. Up against the Mexican captain. That's in. one nothing for Mexico. Canada. Best player, Chilliwack's Jordan Heidema. She has it. She's coming in. She scores but wait just before she scored foul on canada tenny akandoju taking down the mexican player so they didn't allow the goal so mexico wins one up in canada plays new zealand in the uh, third place game on saturday it's mexico and spain in the final i said linebacker odell willis is a defensive lineman there you go Here's a look at today's snow report. Whistler Blackcomb, a base of 60 centimeters, 12 new. Grouse and Cypress opening date to be determined. Sasquatch opens December 15th. Revelstoke will be opening December 1st. Fernie, November 30th. Manning Park, December 1st. And Whitewater, December 7th. Big White has a base of 88 centimeters. Silver Star, 12 new, a base of 104. Sun Peaks, a base of 89. Kicking Horse and Mount Washington both open December 7th. Powder King, a base of 83 centimeters. Well, like many museums, the Vancouver Museum has only enough space to display a fraction of its artifacts. Global's Linda Aylesworth got a behind-the-scenes tour of the museum's amazing collection in storage and a lesson on what it takes to preserve and protect it. What would be a coveted behind-the-scenes adventure for most is just another day on the job for Fiona Hernandez. Welcome to the Museum of Vancouver's massive collection storage room. Through the years, the collection has grown to 70,000 artifacts. And this here is our Egyptian section. 
And this is a mummified crocodile. But it all started here with the stuffed trumpeter swan. This is the museum's very first acquisition. The museum started in 1894 and this was collected in 1895. The collection, in the early days, focused on things from far away. It's a uh, Irish elk, which is an extinct species. Their goal was to expose Vancouverites to the wonders of the world, so we collected artifacts from all over. But increasingly, it included local artifacts. Got it on the side here. Like this prized performance costume worn by Canadian icon Pauline Johnson. That it's down here and not up on public display is due to its sensitivity to light. Here you can still see most of the colours, or some of the colours, whereas the front um, is just totally faded. Fiona, a chemist-slash-artist, is the Museum of Vancouver's conservator. So it's not about restoring things to their former glory, it's about making sure that they're preserved for the future. Only 5% of the museum's collection is on display at any given time. The rest wait their turn down here. But that doesn't mean you can't see them. Every object is in the online publicly accessible database and about 50% of the collection has a, a photograph to go with the record. When an artifact does get its chance to go on display, Fiona will make sure it's up to the challenge. It's painstaking work, but she doesn't mind. I like doing repetitive, nitpicky tasks, so that's kind of perfect. <laughs> Linda Aylesworth, Global News. <laughs> right person for the job. For sure, that's cool. Have they ever asked us for any artifacts? We probably have some. No. I know. Back I, there. I, they might have the dogwood down there, who knows? Uh, this program is a train that's quickly pulling into the station, which oh, is setting boy. up my segue to the Christmas train out at Stanley Park, which is where Christy is right now on a, uh, what, chilly evening? Not too bad out there, though, I guess, eh? Yeah, no, it's not too bad at all compared to what we're going to see over the weekend, Chris. It's going to cool down quite a bit, but at least the sun will be out during the day. We're going to end off tonight again with the Vancouver Fire Rescue Services Band. They've been amazing entertaining everyone tonight, and uh, we all look forward to the sunshine, that's for sure. Take it away, guys.